Hi, CityCast listeners. The number of unhoused people in America appears to be at an all-time high. But here in Houston, it seems like we're maybe getting closer to solving this problem. I'm here today with Anna Rausch of the Coalition for the Homeless of Houston to find out how a survey is helping the unhoused become housed. It's Tuesday, January 31st, 2023. I'm Carly Ann Jones, and this is CityCast Houston. Anna, thank you for being on CityCast Houston today. Thank you. Good morning. I appreciate you having me. Good morning. Of course. Okay, so a New York Times article was published last year, and it praised Houston for moving 25,000 people from the streets to houses. I know that you're preparing to do a follow-up survey on this soon with the Coalition for Homelessness of Houston. What are your predictions? Do you plan on seeing an improved number? We always hope to see a decrease in homelessness um, from one year to the next, but really it's it's just so hard to predict because of the, you know, the, the economic impact that's happening across the nation right now. Um, there's a lot mm-hmm. of people that have lost jobs. There, we have, we're having inflation right now. Affordable housing is going up. Um, the cost of living is not keeping up with wages, et cetera, et cetera. And so um, we have housed a lot of people. And so I like to say that the numbers are going to go down. But at the end of the day, there's a lot of factors that are hard to quantify um, that may impact the number of people experiencing homelessness. Okay. And the survey is done annually. Correct. What is the main purpose of conducting this? So the annual homeless count and survey um, is conducted every January across the nation. Uh, The U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development, or HUD, requires that this happen. Um, typically in the last 10 days of January. And so during the pandemic, a lot of cities um, did not conduct the unsheltered portion of the count, which is for people that are living in what we call a place not meant for human habitation. But we did here in Houston, um, we conducted the count all three years. Um, So there's two parts to the count. There's an unsheltered count. Um, It's when volunteers go out and interview individuals that might be experiencing unsheltered homelessness and then ask them some questions related to how they became homeless and how long. And then the sheltered portion of the count happens on a designated night. That is when we will pull records from all of our shelter partners. It's the client level database that we use to you know, capture all client level information, all the services that are provided to individuals that are receiving any type of assistance in our community. And so we take those two numbers combined um, and we report those to HUD. HUD captures those numbers across the nation and they they pull them all together to complete the annual homeless assessment report that goes to Congress, which is ultimately Mm -hmm. used to determine what the HUD budget is going to be, et cetera. But we use it in Houston to determine how well we're doing. We wanna know if the homeless numbers are going down. Um, so it really shows our progress in ending homelessness really in any community. And then we also use it to determine if the services that we're providing are adequate, if we're seeing a lot of um, hot spots or like uh, visible homelessness increasing or decreasing in certain parts of the community so that we can dispatch outreach teams. It helps us to determine if there are any subpopulations that are growing. So like if all of a sudden we're seeing an increase in the number of of youth or the number of veterans, um, then we need to keep an eye on that and and dedicate services specifically to that. So it's it's a lot that goes into it. And I mean, it's not perfect. It is a a snapshot in time, but we have that. And then we use the numbers from our HMIS to also um, help um, improve the services that we're providing. So when you're doing this interview, what qualifies someone as... Homeless. 
so, or unhoused? Yeah, so the, the shelter count, um, just by the, the mere fact that someone is in a shelter, that means that they're experiencing homelessness. For the unsheltered portion okay. of the count, it's um, what we refer to as um, individuals residing in a place not meant for human habitation. So if someone mm -hmm. is, is staying you know, outside, if someone is staying in a tent outside, if someone is living in an encampment, if someone is sleeping in their car because they don't have a place to stay, if someone is staying in an abandoned building or a warehouse, um, things like that. Mm -hmm. And so when volunteers go out and they see someone on the streets, they'll approach them and we have uh, you know, a little script that we give them and we just have them introduce themselves and say, we're in the area, we're volunteers with the Coalition for the Homeless, and we're conducting surveys for people that might be experiencing um, unsheltered or street homelessness. And so they'll usually say, well, I'm homeless. And then we say, well, can we ask you some questions about that? And so then we say, where did you stay the night of Monday, January 23rd? Because again, that is the night of record. So even though there may, they may be interviewed during the day, any of the, the three days, we still have to refer back to that night of record. Is there a time period that they have to be without shelter for it to count? If Monday night on January 23rd, if they were unsheltered, wherever that may be, um, mm -hmm. so they'll let us know what that is. And then um, the survey will continue. So from there, we ask them their name. We ask them how long they've been homeless. We ask them um, where they were the first time they became homeless, what contributed to their homelessness. Um, we asked them if they became homeless as a result of a natural disaster, because we do have a lot of those here in mm -hmm. Houston. We ask if they became homeless as a result of the pandemic. Um, and then from there, we ask them if there's any kind of a disabling condition that prevents them from getting a job or prevents them from living independently um, so that we can determine the number of individuals that are experiencing what we call chronic homelessness. Those are people that have been um, homeless for you know a year or more, three years or more, and they have some kind of a disabling condition that prevents them from working or living independently. And currently it's winter time. We've been having weather at nighttime that's like 30 degrees, and that's tough for just a lot of Houstonians to stay warm. When you're unhoused, the conditions are just unimaginable. Could you describe some of the conditions unhoused people are facing right now? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's I mean, if, if you can imagine, you know, it's, it's what, 40 degrees right now, but overnight it got down into the 30s. Imagine sleeping in that mm -hmm. um, when you don't have shelter. You know, the, the, there was a horrible storm here the other day, as you know, there were tornadoes. Yes. Um, and you know, those, those individuals are living outside. They're under bridges that typically flood. I mean, we, we have outreach teams that go out and try to inform people to keep them safe, but you know, they're cold, they're, um, they're hungry. Um, they're uncomfortable. A lot of them are sick because they, you know, just the conditions of them being out there. And then some of the conditions just by being outside, especially if there's a whole bunch of people in one area experiencing homelessness. So um, there's animal droppings, there's trash that people throw, um, there could be human waste. Uh, and so that contributes to the, a lot of disease. You know, these are human beings and they deserve um, a roof over their head and a place to feel safe. I agree. And most people believe unhoused people can rely on things like shelters and food banks during these times. Do these places truly have the capacity to account for all the people that are in need right now? 
Not really. We don't have enough shelter. Um, Houston, typically, because of our weather, we don't have um, a whole bunch of emergency shelter. We're not what, you know, some some states have a lot of shelter because of their um, the cold weather, et cetera. Um, but here in Houston, we mm-hmm. just don't have a lot of that. And our shelters typically stay at capacity. Um, so even if we were able to round up every single person that was on the streets right now, we'd, we likely would not have, um, you know, a shelter bed for them. And so, um, and then as far as, you know, like food pantries and stuff, food pantries are geared more towards um, families that are living in poverty that need some um, staples to kind of supplement what they eat. And so it's a lot of canned goods. There, um, some of the food pantries that we know have like little, uh, what we call homeless bags, where it's like ready to eat um, stuff. Uh, So individuals that are experiencing unsheltered homelessness really have to go to, you know, like day centers where there's hot meals prepared, um, things like that, so that they can get some food. Okay. And going back to the New York Times article, I'm wondering, what was the steps to get people in these homes? Like the people that were unhoused, the 25,000 people that we were able to get into housed areas, what were the steps in doing that? So typically the way that it works is let's just say you're an individual that is experiencing homelessness. You have to get to one of our um, entry points into the homeless response system to conduct what we call a housing assessment. It's a coordinated access assessment. And so that assessment Mm -hmm. is basically an interview that asks, you know, how long you've been homeless, where, where are you located? It asks about felonies or anything that might be an impediment to getting that person housed. And so from there, the individual gets placed on our housing wait list. And so as a slot of housing, and when I say housing, um, housing is, is three things. It's, it's a physical unit, so like an apartment complex. It's the subsidy or the rent that's going to pay the rent on that apartment. And then it's mm-hmm. the supportive services, because we know that the only way to end homelessness is with permanent housing with supportive services. That's the only way. Um, and so we use mm-hmm. a housing first approach, which means that the individual gets taken directly from wherever they're homeless until Um, into that housing slot when the housing slot is available. There's no precondition. They don't have to be sober. They don't have to get drug tested. They don't have to agree to participate in services. They're voluntary, although the majority will participate. And then we provide furniture for the apartment um, or for the unit, as well as, you know, household goods. And then once that individual is moved in, then the housing partner will start the supportive services, you know, working on whatever is necessary to get that individual um, whether it be self-sufficiency or whether it be, you know, income, whatever, whatever the requirement, everybody's different. Everybody's needs are different. Um, so it ebbs and flows as we get additional funds. We're able to create new housing programs. We were able to move faster. Um, but then as the, as the funding slows down, then the housing pipeline um, slows down as well. And so with that, is there a time limit on how long someone can be housed in the housing that you're giving them? So there's two types of housing interventions that we deal with, or three types, I would say. Um, One is permanent supportive housing. Permanent supportive housing is for those individuals that I mentioned that are experiencing chronic homelessness. Those individuals have been Mm -hmm. homeless for so long that they're likely never going to be able to work and live independently. And so permanent supportive housing is permanent. That means they can stay in that um, housing slot as long as they are they need it um, and possibly for the rest of their life. Um, and so that is permanent. Um, that is why there's you know, there's more, there's stricter criteria because we want to make sure that it's the most vulnerable individuals that are going into that uh, resource because it's more expensive and it is permanent. Then we have rapid rehousing It's for people that are newly homeless. They could be homeless one day. Maybe they lost their job. Um, due to the pandemic, um, and they just need, you know, a a little bit of a helping hand to get back on their feet. They need an apartment. 
Um, and so that typically is about 12 months and, um, and the, okay. the rent will gradually taper off and we help them find a job. We help them find childcare if that's what they need. Um, and then at the end of the program, then they graduate to self-sufficiency. That's the intent of rapid rehousing. Um, and then lastly, we have diversion. Diversion is really geared towards more of conflict resolution. It's for it's to prevent individuals from becoming homeless and entering the homeless response system. So, you know, it's someone that is about to literally um, lose the roof over their head or maybe they're having to leave their their family members home for whatever reason. Or maybe they just want to get to another city to be with their family members um, because that's where their support services are. Maybe they just need a deposit to get an apartment or maybe they just need. Um, they just started working and they need a couple of months rent until they can, you know, pay the rent on their own. That is what diversion is for. So diversion would be somebody coming in and asking for services versus the chronic homelessness. Yeah, the individual has to initiate the request. Um, but, oh, you know, okay. Yeah. Okay. So what is it like to initiate the request? Like what? What steps go into that? Is that just coming into the office? Yeah, they, we have coordinate. If you go to our website, homelesshouston.org, and you scroll over to where it says get help, um, we have a help card. And so all of our shelter partners are trained in conducting the coordinated access assessment. So if someone goes into shelter, um, they're going to be connected that way. We have a coordinated access intake line where people can contact to ask for services. And then we have, um, you know, drop in centers and partners across the community that are trained to conduct the assessment. So like the Beacon Day Shelter downtown, for example, if someone comes in and, and is trying to get a shower, they're able to to get assessed for housing there. Um, and then all of our outreach teams that, you know, every outreach team, uh, as well as the, the HPD and the sheriffs, they're trained in conducting the assessment as well. So as they see individuals out on the streets, they're able to do the assessment that way. Wow. Okay. Do you think Houston is on the path to where we could bring an end to homelessness in our city? Yes, I do. Uh, I know that that's, uh, you know, a lot of people are skeptical about that, but we did end veteran homelessness in 2015. Um, it doesn't mean that there is wow. not a single homeless veteran out there. It just means that we have enough resources to house all of those veterans immediately. So, um, uh, you know, it, mm. a lot of people are skeptical, but we're the fourth largest city in the U.S. and we have a homeless count of 3,000 individuals um, compared to Los wow. Angeles, who has about 55,000 individuals. So, um, I mean, it, it's mm. it's doable here. Um, we still have um, a low cost of living compared to some of those larger cities in the U.S. And so it is possible to really um, eradicate homelessness. Oh, wow. That is actually amazing. Thank you so much, Anna, for coming on the CityCast today. And thank you for all that you do with the Coalition for the Homeless of Houston. We appreciate you. Thank you so much. No problem. That was Anna Rausch of the Coalition for the Homeless of Houston. Now I'm here with producer A.K. Almoman. A.K., what else is going on around Houston? Hey, Carly. I read something amazing today. The 57th Super Bowl on February 12th in Arizona between the Philadelphia Eagles and Kansas City Chiefs is going to have a Houston flavor to it. I was today years old when I found out the Eagles star quarterback Jalen Hurst is a Houston native, was a star at Channel View High School on the east side of Harris County, and here's the craziest part. I read on the Houston Chronicle that he could be the first starting quarterback from Houston to win a Super Bowl. If you're looking for a team to root for at the big game, especially after the heartache that the Texas gave us this season, rooting for Philadelphia could be your best bet at cheering a hometown hero. 
I love to see it. After we feuded with Philly for the World Series, here we are coming together for Super Sunday. It's a beautiful thing to see, to be honest. That's it for our show here today at CityCast Houston. This week, we'll be having a show about living single in Houston. If you have tips on the best ways to navigate dating in this crazy city, call us at 713-489-6972 and leave us a voicemail with your thoughts. Help us single people out, please. See y'all tomorrow. Bye. That was Anna Roush of the Coalition of the Home. That was Anna Roush of the Coalition of the. Wait.